Isn't that time? <laughs> You're on. <laughs> oh, okay, the microphone works. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the National Library of Australia. Um, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land before we start. I'd like to thank their elders, past and present, for caring for this land, which we are now privileged to call home. Um, tonight we're fortunate to be joined at the National Library by David Astle. He's known to many cryptic crossworders um, of the Sydney Morning Herald as <laughs> DA, which many say uh, stands for Don't Attempt. Um, <laughs> Far too many. <laughs> <laughs> he's a writer of several books, including Puzzled and Clutopia, uh, and now Riddledom, an exploration of the world of riddles. Uh, he also has a forthcoming book uh, which takes the story of wordplay to children um, called Word Burger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Please welcome David Astle. Thanks, George. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much. Uh, just to keep things a little bit lively, we've got an Ask It basket, which uh, today, if you've got some riddles that you've been thinking of that you want to pose to David, um, <laughs> we'd like you to write down your question and your name, and then we'll uh, pick a few, and uh, I, I believe there's a prize There's a state, prize Dave. involved, uh, but don't write the answer down, because it's up to, uh, it's up to the riddle master here to see if they can solve your uh, <laughs> devious riddle. Uh, but yeah, the best or the, the weirdest will, will win a prize, so it is worth doing, but that'll just float around as we chat. And if you are uh, tweeting today, don't forget to include at NLAGovAU and also the hashtag Riddledom, uh, which is the title of David's book. Um, David, perhaps we can kick off by talking about how you found yourself in the world of riddles. I believe it was through a particular book. Yeah, I was... Um, I think I told Joe on ABC Radio that I was uh, atrocious and precocious as a child. Uh, and in that order, um, I pity my mother. And in fact, you almost need to have children to really understand the burden of parenthood. Um, and I certainly was um, more of a burden than most because I was obsessed by wordplay, puns, riddles, anagrams. Even as a kid, just growing up in Balgala and in Sydney and seeing Al sitting inside Balgala. No, and I also loved, uh, you know, Winnie the Pooh. So there was one of my favourite characters, the wise old animal who couldn't spell. Um, and riddles. I followed quickly along. I became obsessed by riddles. And a particular book of riddles uh, just won my heart as a, as a seven-year-old. That book was called <laughs> 1001 Riddles um, because my... My mother and father were exasperated and they wanted um, their wonderful little boy to shut the hell up. Uh, <laughs> so they bought this book of riddles as a means of um, just keeping me quiet for the best part of five minutes. But of course, I read that book avidly, memorised the book and then spent the best part of the next two years asking... A thousand and one riddles of my family, so <laughs> they were glad that I finally left the house when I was, you know, twenty. <laughs> it was the Game Boy of its day to keep you occupied, but um, probably more annoying. Yeah, it was a more annoying version of Game Boy. Game Boy with with sound effects you couldn't turn off. <laughs> and that book was a thousand and one riddles, and it's sort of a little bit of the inspiration for your book, isn't it, to draw out. The diversity of riddles, I suppose. Well, I, the eureka moment for me as, um, as a writer, you know, it, it only sort of a few years ago, was thinking back on that very book, and it was a real touchstone book for me growing up, and realising that, in fact, uh, that riddles were the kind of prototype or the precursor to cryptic clues. I mean, they, they're little bundles of deception, just like a cryptic clue crossword. So I suppose it was a bit of an apprenticeship, just, you know, uh, gorging on riddles as a child. 
Um, and in fact, you could almost say that it was a, riddles are a bit of a gateway drug for cryptic crosswords. Um, <laughs> and that's certainly it was the case in mine. Yeah, the first, the, you know, the first uh, taste is always free. <laughs> Um, so, so riddledom is really an exploration of riddles, both as uh, a universal phenomenon, things that you see around the world, um, and there are, there are some great examples of riddles in here. My personal favourite is um, the Brazilian riddle, which uh, is so much more than just a question and answer. It's a courting ritual, it's a pick-up line, it's a dance. Um, well, you know, when, when you think of riddles, you normally think of that kind of boom-tish, double entendre sort of playground smut or a little bit... It's that kind of clever pun where a six-year-old can hold court um, and say, how do you make an octopus giggle uh, with ten tickles? And we all go, that's very lovely. Now, you know, <coughs> you can, um, could you please pass the salt? It's kind of like they're, they're just cute uh, diversions. Uh, or the Christmas cracker corn. That's what most people think of riddles. And, for, and you know, really that is the most, by, by the most part, that is the content of the book that I loved as a child. But it's when you start looking further afield that you find something like the Brazilian uh, riddle songs. These were riddles that were in, uh, exported from Africa in the 1500s with the Africans themselves. They were kidnapped by Brazilian coffee uh, plantation owners, kidnapped from places like Gabon and Sierra Leone over to uh, Brazil, and they were put to work uh, for no pay at all as slaves on uh, these vast coffee plantations. And the way that they kept sane and also kept their culture uh, was through music. And these songs are called uh, puntos, which is uh, Portuguese for not, because they are riddle songs. And each song is a riddle. And the per- what's so fascinating about these uh, puntos is that they are syncopated to the rhythm of digging. And they're also codified with a mixture of Portuguese and, and the sort of Bantu language so that the masters couldn't understand what was being said. And that they were also required the call and response, as you're quite right, which is a very important part of a work song, that there is this sort of uh, yell from one party and a response from the other. It's almost like checking that you're still in rhythm. Uh, and they're amazing, they're amazing pieces of, uh, of cultural history. And that is just one example of the kind of 70 other bizarre and remarkable riddles that I found that are anything but the, you know, the Christmas cracker corn. So it was... And the fact that the sacred, the sacred totem of uh, these African coffee slaves was the armadillo that they called tatu, which is a Bantu word uh, for an anteater. And tatu was sacred for two reasons. One was an armadillo is a digger. So it was almost uh, an embodiment of their uh, privation that he also spent his life digging... But the other thing that they found that they loved about Tartu was that the armadillo, I'm I'm led reliably to believe, is quicker when it runs backwards than when it runs forwards. So in other words, its retreat, it's a bit like the uh, Italian army, its retreat (laughs) is actually well rehearsed. And for them, for the African people, this was actually a great symbol of optimism and hope because it meant that they could always return to, their, to, the, to Mother Africa. So he was this digger who could move quickly backwards, just as their songs would take them back, because they have this beautiful African rhythm to the songs and a mixture of Portuguese and Bantu that are basically uh, enshrine riddles through, uh, through all the, the lyrics. And, of course, perhaps a little bit closer to home, you mentioned the corny uh, 
riddles that, that we all know. Um, that there's, of course, the chicken that crossed the road, which was really the meme of the 19th century, wasn't it? It kind of evolved and kept going for years. Yeah, you're right. I mean, when it came to... I mean, once I'd, I'd thought, OK, 101 Riddles, which was a, a, a kind of distilled version of this corny book I grew up with, 101 Riddles, that's the tactics. I'm going to basically look for 101 de- delicious riddles from around the world. There were certain mandatories. I mean, if you write a, a book about... Um, uh, if you write a book about toys of the 20th century, Lego's got to be the first one in. Okay, get the Lego out of the way. Get the Etch-a-Sketch. It's kind of when you... you know, it's, There are some things that have to be included. Chicken Cross the Road, that is the kind of first response. It's the knee-jerk riddle, and you're right, that came out in about 1830 was the first written record. Um, and there were others that uh, were just as important to include. Um, and the Lewis Carroll would have been one of those. And the Oedipus myth, uh, which is the classic Sphinx riddle... Uh, that they were the three, and, and of course others bullied to be included, but the th- they were the three that uh, were the first sort of locked into the matrix. And the Lewis um, Carroll riddle came at a time when there was a, a real riddle mania on, wasn't there? And uh, he rather cheekily doesn't give you an answer to the riddle within uh, the book. Do, do you want to tell us? It's a lovely story because, in fact, to be fair to Lewis Carroll, you could always argue that you know he. He had intended to give the answer, but it was the Mad Hatter's riddle after all, and Hatter's being mad um, didn't refrain from you know, sharing the answer with Alice, who was infuriated. Uh, so this was the riddle that uh, mad, the Mad Hatter asked at uh, the tea party, which is, why is a, ra- a, a raven like a writing desk? And Alice was, you know, she was intrigued and she tried to work it out. Uh, the Mad Hatter, meanwhile, had uh, derailed himself off on other topics, talking about, uh, you know, nonsense and... and uh, uh, and, and twaddle. And, and then Alice insisted, what is the answer? And the Mad Hatter being mad, reneged. And while the book was beloved, you know, when it first came out in 1865 and, and went into multiple editions, there was this real backlash amongst readers of, how dare you, sir? You, can, you have broken the covenant. <laughs> A riddle must have an answer. That is one of the kind of, you know, preconditions. You, I mean, otherwise it's just a nonsense question. So they, they lobbied as best they could. There was this, you know, uh, kind of twitch, you know, this sort of twitch fork backlash that where letters flooded into the, uh, into the writing room of Lewis Carroll, who acquiesced. He finally gave in. There was so much umbrage that he said that um, in a future edition, he put a foreword in that provided an answer. But the catch to this is that the answer was underwhelming. Uh, his answer was... Uh, a raven and a writing desk are the same because they, though they both, uh, they both produce notes, even though they are flat, and they can and never, uh, you you can never put the wrong end at the front. And the, the you know the readers thought, eh, what? Eh, that's kind of not even funny. I mean, <laughs> even from a Mad Hatter's point of view, that's. <laughs> now there were two things that were really fascinating about that answer. One is that you can have an answer that still does not satisfy the, you know, the populace. The second thing was that he wrote, Lewis Carroll wrote, never, N-E-V-A-R, deliberately punning with the anagram of raven, where you can never put the wrong end at the front. And if you do that, you create raven. But a, um, a copy editor, an editor, looked at this and thought, oh, that's a, that's a misspelling, <laughs> and corrected it. And we are indebted to a, a Lewis uh, Carroll scholar by the curious name of Dennis Crutch in 1980 who came across this uh, correction in the folio and alerted everybody, but they still weren't satisfied. It's a lame pun, <laughs> it's an anagram. So in the end, 
The crowdsourcing has won over. Everyone has been working on a better answer for the riddle. Um, <laughs> and in 2005, in a chat room uh, called io9, there was a, 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 some, an anonymous poster who came up with a brilliant answer that has since become the, uh, the default answer. A raven is like a writing desk because a writing desk is a rest for pens, whereas a raven is a pest for wrens. And, and Lewis Carroll, you could hear him applauding from the grave. Thank you for taking that albatross off my neck. It's always good to have a redraft 100 years later by someone else, isn't it? I think um, the other sort of must-inclusion uh, in terms of riddles was, is, is in The Hobbit. And you, you kind of don't quite go there. You talk instead about the... Uh, now, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, the Havara, yep. uh, a Norse epic, which has some... Uh, Tolkien's borrowed heavily from it. He has, and it's, uh, it was interesting. I mean, Tolkien, you know, he did push hard to be included, and I, I felt obliged because we know the riddle so well. But the fact that we do know the battle between Bilbo and Gollum so well, at least through the um, TV series, if not through the books, the TV series, the movie franchise. Uh, so I thought, well, that's, it, it is well-trodden territory. What can I tell differently about this that would open the eyes of the readers. And what I found out is that uh, Tolkien was um, indebted to this Norse saga from the 1100s called the Hevarar Saga. And it is the story of... Uh, I mean, it's, it's the great um, you know, uh, mythology compendium of, uh, of Norse uh, legends. And there is... I mean, there are many characters' names that uh, double up, both in the... Um, in the, the Norse saga and in Tolkien's books, including uh, is it Dwalin, the dwarf. Um, Balin, yeah. There is also Mithril, um, which is the kind of mythic metal, is also uh, replicated in both books. But the other thing that is there is this beautiful riddle tradition um, where um, Odin often, the, the, the sort of superior god, dresses up in human form and just reminds humans of how he is still the boss in the house <laughs> because he can ask these riddles that defy solving or easy, you know, easy solutions. And that, so riddles, are for him, emphasise his power. And, so, and really, that is the other reason why riddles are so ubiquitous because they are little vehicles of, of power because I know the answer and you don't, so you need to prove yourself to save your life or to belong to the inner circle uh, or to, you know, to win my heart. So that idea of power, which is why they're so intoxicating to children, because finally they get to, to sort of you know, wear the boots and the pants because they can you know, sort of hold the, hold the floor. And speaking of intoxicating, Odin's riddle was um, mind whacker, word thwarter and speeder of speech. Um, which the, the whoosh, maybe you know, can anybody work that out? What oh. is a mind whacker, a word thwarter, and a speeder of speech? Odin's great riddle. Come on, what are you going to have when this session is over? You're going to have a drink. It's That's, alcohol. It's alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> a reminder that refreshments are provided afterwards as well, <laughs> which may speed your speech a little around riddles. Um, the Norse has a really interesting sort of culture around this too. They talk about riddles as kenning, don't they, which is, which is also the word for understanding, which has um, created the Scottish word to ken, to understand. Um, and they've got some really good sort of riddly words. They talk about a sword as... A wound hoe. And, uh, yeah, a wound hoe. How, how beautiful is that for a sword, yeah. A longboat as a sea steed. Um, there's something of that in riddles too, isn't there? The, 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 the ha-ha funny riddle 
isn't necessarily the tradition that exists in other countries. And um, for me, the Mongolian riddles are, are really interesting. Could you tell us about the, some of those? Yeah, look, it's, you're quite right. There's, this, uh, there's a sort of metaphorical school of riddles that um, are just bewitching because they're not funny. They do revolve in that idea of, of seeing something truly. Uh, in the same way that Ken, which is to know, the Norse knew these riddles as kenning because they're, they're kind of foxy metaphors. Um, uh, and it's the same thing as um, in, Mon- in Mongolian riddles. They don't have question marks attached. They're just an elliptic and lyrical way of perceiving something. For example, a swamp frog with nine sinews is a saddle. And you think, well, I beg your pardon, because it is brown and low, just like a swamp frog, and the nine sinews are the, are the various straps that attach it to the horse, in the same way that an anvil with four geese below is an udder. Uh, and what it teaches you is a different way of seeing the world, and kenning means to know, because if you can see something and allegorise it, it's almost as though you have seen something truly and possibly for the first time. And it's a wonderful exercise for children, and that is born out in African riddles called bird riddles, because it teaches kids to be aware specifically of animals in nature, to be able to come up with the metaphor that meets each animal in nature, means to understand the world around you. So riddles are, are as much vehicles of teaching you to see as they are of power. Mm. Um, and there's a great long history of riddles too. Uh, I think the earliest example you have is the Babylonian riddle, but um, probably the, the most notable one is, is the riddle in uh, Pompeii that was captured on the walls there. Yeah, most of us think of Pompeii as... Um, uh, when it comes to graffiti, it's usually... We think of the filthy stuff. It's, there's, some very, there are, there's some great filthy stuff. Uh, but there's also curses and there's, there's sort of anguished pleas. Um, bear in mind that Pompeii... Uh, roughly speaking, as best they can manage, there were censuses at the time, had a population of roughly 10,000 people. Now, in the area of Pompeii, not the complete city as yet, but in the area of Pompeii that they've excavated, they've since found 13,000 pieces of graffiti. So if you do the maths, that's basically... Everyone has scrawled at least one message on the wall. (laughs) And one of them they found in the uh, Basilica was um, the most... um, the most kind of um, intriguing of, of them all, it was entitled a, a, a zetima, which is Latin for riddle, and it was deemed to be a piece of, of scurrilous um, kind of boy love. Um, it referred to a... Um, a it was from a, a male's point of view, saying, I'm looking at the woman with the child. I wish the child was mine. I cannot have the child... I desire the child, but the child um, does not desire me. And most people for, for centuries had presumed that it was essentially a, a, a kind of uh, an anguished look from afar of a, um, uh, of a male looking to, a, looking to a, a young boy. For some reason, there seemed to be a, a sort of salacious element to it. But then the key word here is the word fructus, which is Latin for fruit and also for offspring... But it's also, and a, and a very fine shampoo uh, that has sponsored the book. <laughs> but it's also the word for, um, for interest, in the same way that when you give a loan to someone, uh, you then get fructus from that loan, which is the, how, the, how the money grows. You, the, the money that you lend grows into interest. And what is, has since been you know, um, uh, speculated, and more and more people have subscribed to this idea, is it is as much a, it's a kind of a, a, a cry of class. 
This, this person is looking at the woman who has the ability to make money, to, to grow her money. He desires that money, but the money can never be his. And he, it, it's really about the, um, the kind of fiscal gap that existed and was a severe gap in, in Pompeii society, in Roman society. So it has since been dignified as rather than some ribald piece of, you know, urinal verse, uh, actually just a, a kind of a creed occur from the, from the underclass. Yeah, there's, there's a real sort of... Uh, riddles are really locked into culture, aren't they? And sometimes, you know, with the fructus example, there's a, there's a really good, uh, you know, understanding that it might not be understood out, outside of its time. Um, there, there's, a, there's an example of that also, I think, in your uh, book, Puzzled, isn't it? Um, no, Clutopia, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is, um, if, if you haven't read it, it's a survey of uh, 100 years of crosswords. And uh, one of the crosswords, I think, comes from 1927. And it is a very odd clue that could only make sense to people at the time. Um, can you tell us a little about yeah, that? Yeah, this is why I'm so intrigued by... Essentially, they're ephemera. I, I'm really... I do love ephemera. Um, I almost like to defy the, yeah, the, um, the, the wording of ephemera, which you know, literally means lasting a day. These are things that just slip through our fingers. They might be theatre tickets, they might be uh, just you know, receipts or shopping lists, um, notes that we leave on, on kitchen tables. And um, I, for me, it, I try and turn them into uh, ephemeral, ephemerals. <laughs> I, try and, I try and add value to ephemera. Um, and crossword clues are exactly that. They capture the zeitgeist of the time. And in 1926, there was um, a clue that I found in the Yorkshire Post, which was um, a young hostess, and the answer was uh, six letters. And I had presumed that the uh, answer was geisha, because uh, I had a few letters and it was six, and I thought all this worked out. But I solved the crossword from 1926 and found the answer to be Ishbel. And that made no sense at all to me. So then I, I started digging into who Ishbel could have been. And here was a, you know, the, so the story of Ishbel MacDonald gives me goose flesh because she was a young woman who was a household name in 1926 for a very good reason. Because when her father, Ramsay MacDonald, made Prime Minister, uh, his wife had died only a year before uh, he was running for office. He went to, he went to uh, 10 Downing Street with his four children. And Ishbel, who was only about 16 at the time, was essentially the young lady, if I can use that term. Sorry, not the young lady. She was the young lady first lady of, of Great Britain for nine years while uh, Ramsay served his time. And so, consequently, she was beloved of, you know, by the nation. Um, and she was, would have been in several crosswords and several other pieces of ephemera but she, her name has become ephemera. She is, he, she's left the historic uh, consciousness, not the record, but our focus. Uh, she died childless in 1979, you know, Valet Ishbel MacDonald. And if it were not for a cryptic clue or a clue, I, I would never have known of her, nor would um, many of other people, I would imagine. And, and it has been the same with riddles. I have found the names of people within these riddles, and it's been fascinating to research who these people are. Just as when we have news stories and it might be something as tasteless as the Azaria Chamberlain story or, or the Michael Jackson story, they turn very quickly into riddles. We know how this happens. I'm not defending whether they're you know, tasteful pieces of um, frippery, but I'm just saying that they do capture uh, as much uh, idiolect of a society and culture as they do the sort of you know, transient heroes and villains of that culture. Uh, Idiolect could probably be a Scrabble word, couldn't it? It's for a the, good Scrabble word. 
around crosswords. So you, you've been setting crosswords for how long now? Uh, okay, I think I did my first one uh, in 1983. Uh, so I was just in, at uni, just out of uni actually. And uh, I have been... I, it was a kind of cameo job. I think they basically... It was kind of Stockholm Syndrome. They said, all right, look, you... I had been stalking the Herald uh, for years and sending them my undergrad stuff. And very kindly, Lindsay Brown mentored me. Uh, so my tormentor became mentor. And I'm indebted to Lindsay. Uh, and uh, although it was very telling when I went to meet him for the very first time, I felt as though I, had, I knew him because uh, having solved his crosswords for so long, and Lindsay was the, you know, he was the turbine of crosswords for years uh, in, the, in the Sydney Morning Herald. And uh, I went to meet him when I was uh, still at uni, so it would have been something like 1981, and there he was in his pyjamas, in a kitchen, surrounded by, you know, his cookbooks were his dictionaries. Uh, he had a farty bulldog called Monty, and... Um, I was essentially meeting my future self, you know, with a couple of, <laughs> with a couple of uh, variations to that. But it really, it's hardly as though I walked into this uh, career of crossword maker with eyes closed. I knew that uh, that was my destiny, to, to sort of live in my pyjamas and two-day growth. And, but I just loved crosswords so much I couldn't resist. Because you progressed from riddles to crosswords, and uh, I believe your mother did uh, crosswords. And, uh, <laughs> Poor soul. And, and, and speaking of, you know, the tormentor, you, you, you chased her with riddles and then you chased her into crosswords as I well. I know. I mean, look, this book is actually dedicated to my mum because... Uh, you know, she put up with she put up with my wordy ways. You know, from from uh, from the start, and um, it's true. I, I bugged the hell out of her with riddles, and then uh, she was just she had this ritual: six o'clock every evening, a tall Gordon's and, and tonic, um, and the crossword. That was her moment <laughs> of, of reprieve, and then I started envying the rapture that was uh, she was you know, displayed in these crosswords and became curious in them. And even that, I gate-crashed and wanted to know more. And next thing you know, I was solving them. We were racing, we getting two papers. Then I squeezed <laughs> the fun out of it all over again. <laughs> Maybe just turning back to riddles again, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's the block in a riddle, isn't there? The, the, the sort of the, uh, the turn that you don't expect, which you call in the book the aporia. Yeah, that's, that's important. It's, uh, aporia, which is a Greek word for... I mean, we know portal, and it's essentially saying no portal... So it's saying there's no exit, there's no way out of here. So that's the... I suppose my, my working definition for a riddle is that it is an evasive question with a, a preloaded answer. They, they seem to be the sort of two working um, elements. But I, I've since found that there's plenty of cultures that defy those rules and go, go down their own separate laneways. But the Greeks knew it quite purely as aporia, lack of door... And that is an important element in most Western riddles, that there is this... There's a block. You don't... You, the, the question does not seem to make sense. Uh, let's think of an example. So if I said to you... I could actually use a beautiful Burmese riddle. Um, a glass of milk spilt across the countryside. There's something that's not logical about that, even though it's not a question. There's, like, what does that mean? I mean, you get a glass of milk and there's milk everywhere and I don't... That, that makes... And it's, again, a metaphorical piece of um, subterfuge. And the answer is moonlight. So it's a beautiful way of looking at moonlight, but there's a deliberate block to you perceiving that immediately. And, in fact, I was reminded of that riddle, even though I brought it up in a kid's session yesterday, it all came back to me as I was having a walk uh, around Kingston, and it, I thought it was snow. 
uh, all those kapok seeds. <laughs> and I just thought, wow, it's a gorgeous cup of milk has been spilled across Canberra. <laughs> Whereas I think they call it study snow, don't study they? Study snow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've since found that out. It's very interesting. Um, and one of the greatest finds, I think, of the book is uh, the Gamilaray people who... Uh, an Indigenous Australian people um, who have some riddles that are part of their culture. Well, the great block that I'd encountered with this book was I was, I was determined to find uh, an Indigenous riddle. I mean, I, I found plenty of curious and fascinating uh, historic Australian riddles. You know, one that is almost like a pirate map from, from um, uh, northern Tasmania... Another one that uh, tells about political intrigues in, in uh, Melbourne. But um, the one that I found that I could not seem to find was an Indigenous riddle. And I would have pestered everyone at the linguistics department at ANU, uh, everyone in the Koori Heritage Trust in, uh, in Melbourne. Uh, I became you know, a real pest just trying to find if there was a riddle. And I was, I was told in kind of general terms, it's more of a Western conceit. And having done so much research, I thought, well, it's not. There is just different ways of interpreting what a riddle is. Um, and I was just so jubilant when I found... In fact, it was a, 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 um, a professor here at ANU called Murray Gard who said very much there are uh, riddles in, um, in Indigenous culture in the Gamilaray people. And I found this... Uh, this story was amazing because... We, we have record of these riddles, thanks to a, a woman called uh, Catherine Langlow Parker. And she was uh, rescued as a, um, a young girl by a, um, a young Gamilaray woman uh, in the Darling River. And, uh, and they became tight friends. And when Catherine moved to out near Walgett uh, on the Narran River, she, was, um, she, she basically uh, became very close with the, the local tribe, the Uali tribe. And they let her into their uh, rituals and their culture. Uh, and, and Catherine wrote about it at length and became like a lexicographer, an anthropologist. Um, and amongst her writings in this book the, um, called The Uali Tribe, which was a bestseller in 1905, um, there was a, a series of skipping songs. Uh, that uh, they had this incredible skipping ritual using you know, these uh, long uh, pieces of twilled bark. They had uh, lullabies... Uh, and they had riddles. Uh, they were called giribuls, which is interesting because it actually has a very Western sound to it. And I wonder if that was a word that um, maybe Catherine had applied or it had somehow been corrupted. They were called giribuls. They were indigenous riddles. And it was such a, such a joy to find. And, uh, yeah, it's one of the, it is one of the treasures of the book. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I, I've noticed that the Ask It Basket uh, got, got uh, sh- snagged by someone there. Maybe we'll just have a look at some of these questions well, now. Yeah, why not? Before we turn to your questions from the audience. Um, OK, random choice here. Random choice. OK. Oh, mass riddle, that'd be right. <laughs> Everyone's always disappointed when I arrive and there's no lily. Um, <laughs> what do you call a boiling kettle on top of Mount Everest? Oh, dear. OK. Um, well, I know that um, there is such a thing. That's where we get the word ebullient. It comes from boiling. I know this is not a word question. And that the explorers, the Australian explorers, use boiling as a means of measuring altitude. Um, but that's, that's just foxing around and stalling. Right? What do you call a <laughs> boiling kettle on top of Mount Everest? OK. Steam. I'm thinking steam. I'm, think- I'm trying to work out there's a pun here. Something to do with K, K12. Yeah, K, K2. Oh, maybe it's K1, the first kettle. Um, uh, we, um, it's also called a mass riddle, which makes me think there is a kind of numbers payoff here. Who, who composed this riddle? Who, who is the culprit? Yes. Uh, are we close any with our mumblings? No, we're near. 
Does it have a mathematical answer? You're reading far too much. Oh, okay. Uh, a boiler, a boiler on top of the world. Uh, anyone, anyone want to have a guess before? Yes. High pot in use. Yes. High pot in use. Ah, oh, A high pot in use. Very well done. Do, do you want to grab another one? Okay. Go on. I reckon a boiling billy would have been fairer. <laughs> it's a very good riddle. Okay, here we go. Uh, what is the meaning of life, please? Um, <laughs> did you hear the question? Uh, I think that doesn't have a prescribed answer, but we might be wrong. Uh, what is the meaning of life? 42, uh, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, yeah, 42. Another um, maths one. Or if you perverse, 24. Uh, okay, let's have a look. Uh, Paul, what walks on four legs, then two, then three? Now, that is the Sphinx riddle, Paul. But what's wonderful about the Sphinx riddle, the one that Oedipus solved, is that when he solved it with man it actually sealed his fate. He thought it actually avoided death, but in the end it was a fate worse than death because he became that man. And the walking stick that was the third leg in his twilight was in fact his father's scepter, the man that he had killed unwittingly to then obliviously marry his mother. So it is the perfect um, you know, sort of celestial gotcha uh, and that's why it has become such a surviving myth, that one. But that is, that is the very riddle. Um, so I think we should have one more. <laughs> uh, why did the traffic light turn red? Oh, it's, it's because it maybe it saw a car changing lanes. It's something to do with that, isn't it? <laughs> it's about a, someone getting changed. Um, uh, it, saw a, it saw something that is, that is potentially embarrassing. Changing gear? Uh, it, oh, I saw a car changing, changing gear. gear. Oh, is that's that your very, you might win it for coming up with an answer, a little like you. <laughs> Are we close? That sounds like we've got the answer. What is the answer? You were too Oh, okay. Getting changed in the middle of the road. All right. Well done. I do like changing gear, though. Very clever, sir. Well done. All right. Oh, we'll come on. back one, to a one few more. They're such a clever audience. All right. They are. All right. Okay. And they're very, there's a lot of them. As soon as I mentioned prize, they were just this basket filler. <laughs> the rat and the cat and Lowell the dog rule all England under the hog. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, a saddle? No. <laughs> the rat and the cat and Lowell the dog rule all England under the hog. Wow. Is it LOL, Lowell the dog, or is it... Yeah, a... It's Lowell, as in Robert Lowell, L-O-W-E-L-L. Oh, okay. uh, wow, Lowell the dog. The rat and the cat and Lowell the dog rule all England under the hog. I think this gentleman actually had a few goes, so he's... Yeah. There you are. Ah. It's fantastic. So you've, you've distorted the, the, the kind of synopsis of Richard III. Gosh. But is that an original riddle or have you just uh, you've plucked that from some obscure you know, book of torture that you may have come across? Yeah. All right. all right. I don't think we've got much Shakespeare here in the National Library. Yeah. He's not Australian. Oh, it's, thanks, thanks for lifting the, you know, the erudition of the, of the session. <laughs> Appreciate it. This gentleman had several. I think yeah. uh, when the basket was put down there and left unattended, he raided it and wrote several <laughs> cards. So. Hey, Richard III fashion, I thought. Maybe we could um, throw to your questions a little bit. We have some roving microphones um, going around and we've just lifted the house lights a little bit so uh, you can be seen. Put your hand up if you've got a question for David. And I don't think David answers what was four across from... Uh, <laughs> <this is> a... <laughs> oh, it went straight down the hand. 
Yeah, my question is a very practical one. All the people who are not here tonight are home watching Letters and Numbers. I know. <laughs> yes. And it's the semi-final. We'll watch the grand final tomorrow night. Yeah. But has there been another series made since 2011, or is there going to be another one? Oh, there really should be, shouldn't there? Yeah. Here, <laughs> here. Yeah, yeah. uh, we should leave a petition there at the door. Uh, the answer is no and no, I'm afraid. Um, there was... Uh, it did... Yes, you're right. It was uh, last filmed in 2011. That was... We did... Um, uh, made about 18 months' worth of shows, and SBS has been, you know... Uh, doing the best to, to get the, um, you know, the sort of use of those episodes. I mean, it's lovely to see it being reprised, at least, uh, and it is wonderful, at least, to see these finals, too, um, because they are excellent games, great players. But, um, yeah, look, it'd be lovely to get back on the, uh, to the studio, uh, but I understand that that's, you know, the furthest thing from SBS's mind. I think the, the set has, you know, since been dismantled and all things like that, but who knows? This... What it has rekindled is a lot of, um, you know, uh, affection for the show and, and a lot of uh, new uh, fans of the show. It's, it's incredible how many people... I will tell you that I was once walking to um, walking the dog early one morning, came across a, um, uh, one of those communications officers who was attached to a roadworking gang. He had stop and he had slow. <laughs> and it was sort of half light and he warned me. He said pots as I was walking on. So I was looking for potholes <laughs> and then I realised... Hang on. Pots. <laughs> I walked all the way back to him and I said, post, with his stop sign. And he went, tops. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, love the show. Love, absolutely love the show. And I said, my name's David. What's your name? And he said, Gordon. And I said, anagram of Drongo. <laughs> And uh, then he said, uh, "Okay, that's, you said that aloud. You know that." Um, but yeah, that that to me, you know, uh, symptomises just how much uh, broad affection there there is and was for the show. So I would I would love to think one day that um, they green light uh, more episodes. All three of us would. We had so much fun making it, and uh, great uh, vehicle for kids as well. You know, with all this uh, talking about their fading numeracy and literacy uh, skills. Um, also a wonderful drinking game, I've been told reliably, by <laughs> several uni students. <laughs> Do we have any other... Oh, maybe just the lady just there. When I was a kid, my dad used to drive us bananas with an, a, an imaginary riddle or an impossible riddle. Why does a duck, when it sings, because the higher, the fewer? <laughs> and we used to say, but that doesn't make sense. It's not even a riddle. It, <laughs> Do you yeah. know anything about the history of those and where they came well, from? Funny you should bring it up because I, when I did a shout-out uh, in the wordplay column that I do for uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, when I first launched into this uh, safari trying to find riddles, I did say, please tell me any riddle stories or your favourite riddles. And this duck, this duck came flooding back. There were so many uh, variations on the duck because there's another one about why is, why is a duck's one leg of a duck longer than the other leg? Uh, and it, the answer is just as nonsensical. I can't remember precisely. Does anyone know what the answer to that one? Do you know that riddle? Uh, it's, it's, just, it, it's almost like a, a quizzical version of a dad joke. It's, it's just designed <laughs> to drive kids mad. Um, and I think that's what it is. It's a piece of nonsense that is about short-circuiting uh, your, your kind of logic. I, for that reason, I think it's something to celebrate, but I don't think it, it's, it, defies, it, it defies deciphering. It's just something to... Uh, Look, what, what riddles do is they do in, uh, enforce you, oblige you to think differently, to think sideways. And that's another example of just don't expect uh, an, easy, uh, sort of an, an easy closing of the deal. 
Uh, there's still work to be done. And they're a long way from the dad joke, aren't they? Uh, although both don't have to be funny. Oh, well, I mean, the dad <laughs> jokes... I mean, a dad joke, so long as it has a question and an answer, is a riddle, after all. Uh, but that's kind of falling more into the Western uh, idea. When you look at what else riddles can be, I mean, in Borneo, they're used as, uh, as tools of arbitration. When, when, when there are warring parties uh, in a Borneo village, they bring them together in this sort of uh, tribal council and the elders will put riddles to them. Uh, and what these riddles do is that they affirm the mores and, and uh, kind of cultural ways of the village. Uh, and if you can't answer it, it's a means of highlighting the fact that you have wandered far from, from the, um, the playbook of, uh, of that culture. Uh, so, and that, that's just one version of riddles. There are riddles that are um, that that are, were used in um, uh, that that are in song. There are riddles that uh, were created by uh, a Scottish robot. Uh, this was in 1995 in Aberdeen. There was a thing called the Jape software, which is a joke analysis and pun engine. Uh, <laughs> and what it proved. Uh, you know, sort of uh, astonishingly well, was that riddles are really only something that humans can make up. Because the japes riddles were so lame that... Uh, <laughs> even lamer than dad jokes. The one that <laughs> comes to mind is, um, what shout has pixels? I mean, it's just a ridiculous question, but then again, most riddles are, but it needs to have a sweet answer. This was worse than the Mad Hatter's answer. It's a computer scream. And you think... <laughs> really? That's the best you can come up with? Um, so that gives us all comfort that, um, from both clue makers and riddle masters that uh, the machines can't you know, sort of play the game just yet, but they're still developing the JAPE, um, JAPE software. It's a very good answer around you know, Western riddles being expected to be funny. I think for, for your dad, you know, perhaps he should retort, you know, well, I don't want to play to those Western expectations around jokes, that they have to be funny, you know. <laughs> I mean, the reason behind the JAPE, uh, the JAPE program is, is fantastic because it's actually teaching kids who have learning difficulties, severe learning difficulties. So it's, it's um, giving them the potential to, to hear words being put in different contexts and understand that words can be flexible and, uh, and duplicitous. So actually, there's a, there's a wonderful reasoning behind the, the whole JAPE software program. But um, the fact that they're so lame gives me an you know, enormous, enormous amount of solace. Yes, down the front here. I watched a documentary on Phyllis Diller and she had a uh, magnificent index filing system for her jokes. Apropos that, is there any reason why you don't have any indexes? Oh. <laughs> well, I know. In fact, I think I, I gave a keynote speech at the um, Editors and Indexes uh, conference here in Canberra uh, in May and uh, when they heard that I was doing this project, they said, oh, that'll be a terrific thing to, uh, to index. Um, and uh, it's true. It's, it, is, it, it did weigh on my mind as something that had to be done. I, th I thought and that the, the contents page is quite detailed and does display the riddle and, and uh, quite clearly as that every chapter head is the riddle itself. I thought that was a pretty useful tool and I was hoping a useful tool enough. But I, I've since found, when I'm wanting to go back and find a particular riddle, that it's not as uh, you know, foolproof as I was hoping. So it does take still a bit of finding a riddle, but I, um, I opted out because I thought the contents was, had, a, had a thoroughness uh, to it. 
but it's a fair question. The other thing is the, in the book that it's, it's, you've really packed in a lot of riddles because you've got you know, a question on, this, on, the, on the footer of this page and then it's answer on the, uh, on the other page. So there's, there is loads of riddles there. Uh, yeah. Dad jokes and others included. Uh, Uh, I don't. No, look, I, in fact, one thing I'd... I, in fact, I have been using... Um, when it comes to coming up with crossword clues, because this is another area, you know, you can't rely on memory all the time because I've been making crosswords for 30 years now. Um, I can't remember precisely whether I have used this clue. I may have used the word before. What option did I take? So I've, I've started to uh, file just the... Um, cross, not in a kind of any thorough way, but just putting all the uh, clues and all the answers into, uh, into this one document so I can keyword it. It's essentially a file to ensure that I'm not duplicating uh, clues. So I have started to do that with my clues, which I suppose are my, my riddles professionally. Is it yeah. uh, true that you actually wrote a crossword for Jimmy Barnes once? I did. It's true. I, I met uh, Jimmy Barnes doing a story for Sunday Life. Uh, this is about uh, seven or eight years ago. And he, um, his wife, um, Jane, is a very keen crossword solver, cryptic crossword solver. And uh, so Jimmy, it was her 50th birthday coming up and he wanted to give her something that no one else, no other rock star could give his, uh, could give his girl. Uh, he'd already given her some, you know, ivory, you know, uh, MG, uh, pearl, you know, some pearl grey MG. Um, that was her for a 49. So the 50th had to be special. So he turned to me and I was trying to get, you know, it was... It was a fascinating story because he'd just come off the, um, uh, the heart surgery table and he was going to test out his lungs, belting out K-San and, uh, uh, you know, cheap wine at, um, in, the, in the Queensland Outback. So I was there. He was giving me gold on the proviso that I gave him a crossword. <laughs> uh, and the crossword had all these, you know, touchstone words uh, in Jane's life, her first dog, the, you know, the lyrics, uh, how they met. Everything had been laced into this particular crossword. Um, People still solved it. It was published in the Sydney Morning Herald. People still enjoyed the crossword, but it was this huge private joke between Jimmy and uh, Jane. And uh, I understand that he bought every Sydney Morning Herald uh, at um, uh, Mascot uh, Airport. Uh, He flew over to... And she thought he was going insane. They flew over to Bali, and it was the day after her birthday, and he then put this one crossword in front of him and said, Happy birthday, babe. And she said... This, this is... Really? This is it? <laughs> <laughs> but then she started solving the crossword and then she was in, in, she was in raptures. So, yeah, I, I do occasionally stitch in... Uh, if so, if it's a special milestone for, you know, someone who... Um, uh, you know, I, I mean, it was, a, it was a, you know absolute uh, pleasure to do, but uh, I've done similar things, but always there is the pleasure to be had for the general solver. That's important. I think it's in Puzzle too where you talk about some of those stories about couples who've met over your crosswords and uh, a couple met and got married over your crosswords. Yeah, I was in Brisbane um, for the Brisbane Writers Festival about a month ago and I met this couple and they came up to me and they're both very starry-eyed because they'd just just been married and they were still in the honeymoon stage. You could still see the the, the joy coming from their faces. It was so lovely to meet. They were in their sort of late 20s and they said, oh dear, you'll never believe it. We, We got married on a Friday and I said, that's Congratulations. I'd never met them before. I said, Congratulations. <laughs> no, but we got married on a Friday because that's when your crossword is published and we met over one of your crosswords a year ago. And I thought, oh, you're killing me. <laughs> and so I said, and we saved up your crossword for our wedding night. And I said, <laughs> please tell me you did a few other things too. <laughs> 
I said, yeah, we did. Um, but anyway, so they were, and they're still, yeah, uh, it was just, I've, I have met that many people. I suppose the most uh, wonderful uh, story I've come across in my kind of crosswording uh, day, you know, times, is I came, a young woman from uh, Melbourne, she, she explained to me uh, in an email, and I've since met her, that uh, she had this enormous rift with her father, uh, where they had this massive falling out. I can't remember what it was about. I don't think she told me. But they didn't speak to each other for about six years. But then, slowly, you know, week by week, they used the crossword as a means of reconciling because they both enjoyed the crossword. So they started doing this, um, you know, a, a kind of email correspondence that then thawed into a, a, into a sort of occasional phone calls. And when I met them, they were both there holding hands saying thank you for saving our relationship. So, you know, I do what I do for, for moments like that. <laughs> no pressure. You're just going to bring relationships back together with, a, hey, with one down. Bringing people together, you know, one week at a time. <laughs> <laughs> this gentleman here. Uh, um, yes, uh, you can take this as a comment. Uh, definition of an optimist. Somebody who tackles a David Astle crossword without a rubber. <laughs> <laughs> That takes us back to a honeymoon night, doesn't it? Gentlemen, <laughs> <laughs> yes. just there. David, your story of uh, Ramsay McDonald's daughter as his uh, um, hostess is a very um, personal one, but it's also of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm reminded of that, or by that, of a rather macabre riddle that went around the world very quickly when the one of the space missions for NASA blew up and killed the astronauts. It was immediately, what does NASA stand for? That's right, need another seven astronauts. Need another seven astronauts. I remember that as well. And that's a good example of how they can be very tasteless and yet they capture some, you know, moment in time. Indeed, but if it were put into a... Uh, a a riddle today, nobody would really know what you were talking about Mm. because it's gone. It has gone, and that's a good example. I mean, it does highlight how quickly they they slip through our fingers and how essentially what riddles are, they are these cultural relics. They're almost... What they do is they, they, they eavesdrop the culture of the day. Folklore, by definition, is, is an oral culture. Um, so when we get these written um, vestiges of riddles and stories, what they do is they capture what is being said and what has, has caught the, the public imagination of the day. So delving into riddles, I found riddles from, you're right, five, you know, 7,000 years ago. Uh, and what it has done, essentially, is helped us hear what was being said, helped us understand what made hearts race, what was, what was sacred, what was taboo. Um, what was deemed important and what was not even mentioned. And in fact, the cultural translation of riddles has been as much the, 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 the block that I've had to contend with as the riddle itself. I've had to come... I've, the, the Filipino riddles are all about this dog that jumps over 24 holes, reaches the wharf and leaps into the sea. That's the riddle. And you're thinking, where do I start with that? And then scratching into how this means, what does it mean, who is this dog, what are these holes, and finding out that it's a board game that was imported from the Arab, Arab world in the eight, 800 AD into the Philippines, um, a board game called Sunka. And Sunka was this... Um, it's, it's a little bit like Chinese checkers, and the dog is the main counter, the 24 holes are the pits, it collects marbles wherever you land... Uh, and the wharf is the finishing point, and to leap into the sea means to end the game. So 
all this makes sense once you decode, but you need to get into the culture uh, and understand the, um, the kind of... The, uh, you need to translate culture as much as you need to translate language. Uh, that's, and thankfully, these riddles have been uh, cap- capturing overhearing and finally now in, in this book, I hope, murmuring to you lost worlds and, and lost cultures uh, or com- cultures that we can't easily penetrate. I think, there's, um, I, th- I think the crossword puzzles are also very rooted in a culture too, aren't they? And there's a... Geoffrey Rush, I think, is, is a great fan of yours and has referred to um, DA as the Sergeant Pepper of cryptic crosswords. Um, Whatever that means. <laughs> I'll take it as a compliment. Well, it's a, it's a or a comment, quote. anyway. <laughs> but um, you, you've got, there's a story that um, Jeffrey Rush, Orlando Bloom and Johnny Depp are sitting around on the set of Pirates of Caribbean uh, trying to do one of your crosswords. And, <laughs> and there were bragging rights attached. I mean, it's, uh, again, it's one of those stories why you do what you do. Because I was lucky enough to meet Rush when uh, I was doing a piece for Sunday Life again. And I knew that he was a Scrabble fan uh, as well as being a crossword fan. So I thought, let's play Scrabble. But we don't score and we can flip any tiles over at any point and we call it Story Scrabble. And whatever word you made had to prompt a story. And amazingly, I think, he got a word like atoll or something in his third go and he said that was his pirate story and he told this story about how they had these crossword races. He'd download it from the Herald, he'd he'd photocopy it off because clearly there was a a Xerox on this Caribbean island. He'd (laughs) photocopy it off and there was, you know, Bloom, uh, Depp, you know, Rush, all they're saying, you know, trying to (laughs) spy on each other. Um, And, yeah, whoever got the crossword out first was the true, you know, was the kind of uh, captain of the ship. And Johnny Depp proved to be rubbish, didn't he? Yeah, he he was was rubbish, (laughs) absolute rubbish. Uh, However, yeah, Bloom with his, you know, uh, pommy pommy heritage, he he did have, uh, he he cottoned on pretty quickly. (laughs) Do we have any other questions there? Sorry, we'll just wait for the microphone so we can... Thanks. You comment it reflects the culture. What do Australian riddles reflect mm. and say about us? Good question. In fact, the one that I alluded to earlier, uh, from uh, it was a Christmas cracker book. It was one of those wacky almanacs, and they were very popular in the late 1800s. It, um, this came out in 1887, and it was the riddle was... So this is the thing. You come across a crossword or you come across one of these um, chat books or books of um, you know, miscellany and they would have things like magic tricks in it and funny stories and drawings, a little bit like Cole's funny picture book. But this one was called Predated the Cole Books and it was called Christmas Crackers and I went through, it had a couple of riddle pages. So I'm sifting it through and I'm thinking chestnut, 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 heard it before, yep, know that. Then there was one riddle that said, why is Collins Street like the the River Murray. And the answer was because there's the Bank of New South Wales on one side and the Bank of Victoria on the other. (laughs) And I thought, that's lovely. That will be my riddle for this moment in time. But then I thought, while it does capture a streetscape, it doesn't necessarily capture culture as, as well as another riddle that I since found in the same publication. That said, when is Henderson Africanus like Sir Graham Berry's bandy leg. <laughs> so that's the riddle I chose, because I chose the riddles that made the least sense. Uh, a little bit like your Richard III riddle. I would have settled on that for sure, because I, I just wanted to get it. And what it all came down to was Henderson Africanus. He was this um, charismatic figure that was a newspaper uh, salesman uh, in his day, working the streets. But he was also 
by, on the weekend. His name was actually uh, Christopher Henderson. He was from Jamaica, uh, larger than life and possibly one of the very few Caribbean figures in uh, Melbourne at the time. So he was well known. He then went by the name of Henderson Africanus on the weekend because he became a, a, a kind of political uh, polemicist, a tub thumper. He would occupy a soapbox along the Yarra and he would, he would make promises about how to fix up uh, the government and the economy because it was going through a really t- tough time. So Graham Berry was the Premier of the day and they were in this sort of um, impasse between the, the two houses of legislature, the council and the assembly, where one was blocking supply to the other. So magistrates were retiring. The whole thing was called Black Thursday. Our culture... Was, was, you know, in jeopardy. The, the, the sort of what we understand democracy was on, teetering on the edge. So how does this relate to Henderson Africanus? It all got down to the fact that Sir Graham Berry threatened to go over to the UK to actually um, change the constitution, to get rid of all these dogs in the manger in government. So it was purely just the Assembly who would make the decisions. Forget the checks and balances. Get you out. But what the opposition did was they made fun of Sir Graham Berry. And they also brought out their xenophobic side with Henderson Africanus. Because when is Henderson Africanus like Sir Graham's bandy leg? Is when the knee grows out. So what that tells us is, A, they are terrible at making puns. B, they are racist. C, they are very political. And they ultimately are about political point scoring, so many riddles. Because they do betray your, your colours and your, your sort of partisanship. Um, but it tells us so much about Australian culture 110 years ago, 20 years ago, is that they are political, they're punny, they're xenophobic, all in that one riddle. And that just, you know, you can dig up any history book you like, but sometimes a riddle or a crossword clue tells us best. We've got time for maybe one more question. Um, if you've been sitting on a question and too afraid, this might be the chance to... Alternatively, oh, <laughs> a middle from my chi- uh, riddle from my childhood. What did the uh, gas meter say to the shilling? Okay, uh, gas meter say to the shilling. Um, you turn me on. <laughs> uh, what did the gas meter say to the shilling? Because I'm, I'm presuming that you had to put a shilling into the gas meter. Um, what's the what's the sign for a shilling? Um, you and I really click. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, this Greg comes from Greg. Does anyone want to have a theory on Greg's riddle? Light my fire. Light my fire. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you're on fire, there, sir. Uh, you're not Greg by any chance, eh? <laughs> uh, Greg, who, can you relieve us? Can, yes. I, I thought this was hilarious when I was a boy. Yeah. I'm not so sure now. <laughs> well, what did the gas meter say to the shilling? Yes. Greg, you dropped in, Bob. I was just going out. Oh. oh. Glad you dropped in, Bob. I was just growing out. Well, you know what? That applause probably says something. Even though the hypotenuse was very... Look, I reckon we might have found... that. Also, there's a childhood association that got the warm applause. That's a, I think we found our winner. That is a lovely riddle. All right, we've got our winner there. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, David Astor will be uh, signing books in the foyer as well as joining you for a light refreshment. Um, please join us upstairs for a drink and join me in thanking David Astor for a very generous session. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.